Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, Securing Security. The Gateway is excited to speak with Greg Yurchek, a longtime member of the world of cybersecurity. Initially, he was involved in security for every flavor of Unix in the 90s, but then he transitioned to the vendor world and has spent the last few decades in cybersecurity services at Somatic, McAfee, and now BlackBerry. Greg is an established speaker at technology conferences and currently manages strategic product and managed services at BlackBerry for the central United States and Latin America. You can follow Greg's thoughts on ransomware 3.0 and other current security topics on his TikTok channel, Cybersecurity in 60 Seconds, where his office mate and pet pig also makes an occasional appearance. Greg, welcome to the Gateway. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Russ, for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So I want to start, as we always do at the beginning, can you give us a little bit of an understanding about where you're coming from within your professional career and, and really how you got there? Sure, absolutely. I, I would say um, right now, and I'm well-known in, in like the cybersecurity type space. And so it's been a long journey getting here. I actually started back in the, the mid nineties. It was, uh, it was, I went to, to college at Old Dominion. After Old Dominion, I joined the Air Force and in the Air Force, I got started with cybersecurity. And when I got out of the Air Force in the late nineties, it was right in the middle of the dot-com boom. And a lot of people that I knew were going over to the vendor side. And so I went over to Veritas. There was a little bit of overlap, but frankly, it wasn't that hard to get a job in those days. I know that's probably hard to hear for a lot of people starting in cybersecurity <laughs> right now. And uh, <clears throat> once I got over to the vendor side, Veritas eventually was acquired by Symantec. And I floated around through a couple different companies like Symantec and McAfee. And, and uh, I'm currently at BlackBerry Silence. BlackBerry acquired Silence a couple of years ago. So I've always been sort of on the services side. And that's given me advantage of seeing lots of different environments over the years and lots of different cybersecurity approaches. And so it's been it's been a good space to be in. I don't think cybersecurity is doing anything but growing uh, over the rest of my career. So I really enjoyed it. It's always been an interesting ride. Well, so that, that's absolutely perfect for, for what we kind of like to talk about because, I, you know, 25, 30, 40 years ago, cybersecurity was was a completely different thing. Maybe the beginning of cryptography and, and some of even more of those um, analog style codes and, and things like that. Now, cybersecurity is its own marketplace. Um, when, when we're talking about cybersecurity within a, a company um, that's offering it, right, like as a service or a software or something like that, what are some of, what are you really trying to give a, a customer? What are you trying to offer there? Because I think there's a lot of different um, assumptions about cybersecurity. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think what it comes down to really is, is a couple of different things. It is the evolution of you say as cybersecurity. When I got involved with cybersecurity in the 90s, it was basically a function of IT. If someone had this duty, uh, it was available. I took it and that's how I ended up getting started with it. And then you fast forward through the years and you look at not only has um, IT changed, you know, with, with the internet and how instrumental basically being online is to every business right now. Cybersecurity has grown out of being an IT function to being a separate function that has IT portions of it, but it is so much more business aligned. I, it used to be people would, you know, a security officer for an organization would come to a board meeting and present for 15 minutes and then <laughs> they would leave. They've done their piece. And and now you, know, you have security officers who are part of those board meetings and sit there giving input throughout for all of it because it's just instrumental to businesses and how they function nowadays. I mean, that's led to the vendor side of the things. It, to the vendor side of things as well, where people offer a lot of different uh, offerings. You know, there are, yeah, I've worked for companies that try and offer a lot of solutions that tie together to lessen the burden on agents and things like that. And now, now you have companies, not companies, now you have basically, you see what Gartner says with the cybersecurity mesh framework this year, which is basically decide on your security policies that you need, your reporting that you need, and that will be standard across your entire environment. And then you can plug tools in from there. So it's trying to figure out what, now that security has taken a forefront in different organizations now, how can you apply both from a, a you know, a technical solutions perspective, but also a services perspective. I am very much on the services side. I've always been, I was a consultant and I've, I've been actually selling services for 20 plus years now. And I think it's really key because now some of this stuff has gotten so specialized that people are not going to build it in-house anymore. Yes, you can run your own, uh, you know, threat intelligence program internally and get different threat intelligence feeds from all over the world, plus your environment, or you can just outsource that probably for less money and you'll have someone who's getting threat intelligence from their hundreds or thousands of clients all across mm. the globe and can take what they're saying and apply it to your environment that you never would have been able to do before that. So I, I think it's, it's switched from, hey, here's our solution to, hey, a couple of things. Here's how our overall solution fits into what you're trying to do as a whole. And by the way, here are some things that it's just going to make sense to partner with because you get way more bang for the buck. So combination of those two. Right. So so from what I, I gathered within that one, you're saying that that some of these these vendors and, and these softwares, these these companies out here offering it, utilize their experiences with all their clients to kind of understand the current landscape of threats or, or things that that might kind of erode at the idea of being cyber secure. Yeah, I, I... Absolutely. They see. I, I think it's a huge advantage when you when you work with you know a, a partner that has this. And uh, I will take BlackBerry as an example, just to say. So BlackBerry has uh, you know hundreds of clients, hundreds of thousands of endpoints under its control from different customers all around the world right now. And so we actually see things happen. We see things spread, and we can see when different 
threat actor groups, you know, from the, when this goes from being, um, you know, th this is happening over in like North Korea, but all of a sudden it's spread to the the Eastern, you know, European countries are coming on board a couple of days later. You see this all the time, see it move around. And it gives you an advantage that things do not only come across the world, but there's lots of different environments. So when you're working mm -hmm. with a partner that sees other people's environments, people always think when you work with a partner, you're getting little things like, oh, this is 24 seven coverage. And that that is absolutely true. But it's also the fact that, you know, these people are not seeing just your environment. They're seeing all these different environments. And when they see something goes wrong, they can then come back to you and say, hey, we think this is going to happen shortly to you. Let's let's head it off at the pass, so to speak. Yeah. So as as we kind of go from that one and, and understanding there's a landscape to, to threats out there, um, is there a way for a company or even on, on the micro level, the, the individual, is there a way to be um, actually secure in the cyberspace or is it uh, more of a spectrum that uh, you kind of have to accept some type of risk when you're working in a, in a cyber environment? Yeah, that's the key, right? There's not unlimited money. So it's a balancing act. Um, you know, whenever a cyber event happens, I have a, a list of certain questions you will always get asked. And one of them is, how did this happen? And you should always be prepared to explain this happened because here's what we were doing in this area. Here's what was planned in the future for this area. Here's why we made these budgetary choices for this other solution over this in 2022 and be able to explain that because, yeah, you're not you're not going to get anything to 100 um, percent level, of course. That being said, sometimes people, I'd say the biggest problem is, and a lot of times with what people do in cybersecurity is they do a cybersecurity project, whatever it is, and they possibly don't do it enough. There's a really interesting court case going on right now. Obviously, ransomware and cyber insurance are huge topics this year. And, um, you know, cyber insurance, there's costs have gone through the roof for for less value but also in another sense they're really buckling down and so there was one company called ICS that in May had a uh, had a breach and has incurred lots of costs let's say and so they <laughs> have their insurance with one of the big there's you know there's only yay many players in the cyber insurance world so it's it's run by several big ones and this is one of those and those folks have said hey we're not we're not paying for this. You said you're using multi-factor authentication. Um, I think most people are familiar with multi-factor, two-factor authentication, but it's a combination. So not only do you have to have your know your password, you usually have to know something else. Usually a token on your phone, or you okay it on your phone. And the company has come back and said we are using multi-factor authentication. And the insurance companies come back and said, you know, you're not using enough. So we're not paying any of these costs. There's four costs when you get hit like this. There's a cost if you pay a ransom. There's the cost to recover. There's the cost for specialists like legal or incident response to come in. And then there's the cost to um, of downtime to your business, anything that happens like that. And ICS has said, or, or not ICS, the insurance company said, we don't think you guys are, you know, you, you were, you were, misrepresentative of what you're actually doing here. So that's another big danger. And I think that's a danger that a lot of people are seeing right now is they think, oh, we put in this solution or we put in this. But if you ask their vendor how well they're doing it, they might say, ah, not quite so much. Or if you look at how it fits in what they're trying to do from a strategic level, 
maybe it's in, but it's not really there yet. See that that's absolutely interesting to to know because again, I I feel like uh, when I feel like there's boilerplate from some companies out there of like, yep, we're secure. Yep, we do that stuff. We're there, and I, I've in my ignorance of experience within this space as a customer, a lot of times I'm like, yep, I trust you. Cool. Like who wouldn't be? And and it's interesting to know that no, there, there's different ways you can implement it and there's different levels, just like everything. And and sometimes even when they say it there, it, it might not be as, as um, useful as maybe what, what they're fronting on, on the other side. Um, re- real quickly, you, you mentioned something and I want to, I want to touch on it before we go to the next kind of area, but, uh, and, and again, I apologize for my ignorance on this stuff, but do, do organizations actually end up paying ransom? Are there times where that is the uh, most cost-effective solution? Uh, I, I only ask that because I know from a, a governmental kind of perspective with, with hostages and things like that the the line is well you don't negotiate with with terrorists or you don't negotiate ransoms or anything like that is is that a little bit different yeah i would say absolutely um interesting if, and it, it's really it was i'll tell you when the big shift was uh okay. so so let me let me talk about ransomware just for a second so ransomware has been around basically since the 80s but it really flipped over to business probably about 2015 was when it started to uh take over and instead of being individuals at their homes using infected floppies that's when we saw a flip on the side of the world and it was not just um the internet that facilitated this it was basically crypto that really started to help it gain a foothold now even then once we once we saw this you know and those two really started to develop together um ransomware was just another factor right it was just another any any other threat actor it could have been insider threat it could have been denial of service could have been anything else you know ransomware was another malware vector that could get in and when so it was growing and then in 2019 they made a big switch to ransomware and this is kind of known in the industry as ransomware 2.0 and it was decided instead of just encrypting these machines hey call us pay us in crypto we'll give you the decryption key that before they did that they would exfiltrate customer data offsite first both to prove they had it and to threaten to release it if the customer doesn't pay so it was a two-step system that was incredibly wildly successful. And I think the biggest reason for its success was that all of a sudden organizations were like, oh my gosh, is this data even ours or are we just the stewards of it? Is it customer information? Is it personally identifiable information? You know, stuff like FPHI that that all of a sudden we have to get this back. And all of a sudden you did start to see people pay more and ransomware has basically exploded. Um, and to, to the point now where there's been another evolution this past fall where the threat actors are now saying, okay, if you're not going to pay, how do we actually go after, is this information that we have valuable? Is it a list of, you know, um, health information that we can go after the individuals because they don't want us to release this. Maybe they would, they would help to pay us back. There's been a combination of that and a combination of Threat actors are getting very good at knowing what they have so they can value it appropriately. So it's no longer pay us $2 million for all your data back, but maybe it's pay us, you know, $860,000 for this list of whatever, like health information or something along those lines. So they, mm-hmm. there is, they're very good at knowing the value of that data and pricing for it. And if 
they'll give those people first chance and if they don't then they know it's worth on the open market so they will go and sell it there so customers do pay it really started to increase with 2.0 um can i take another minute on this because i'll please back. yeah okay. I'm, I'm very interested in this <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm going to go through basically, here's why too. Here's another thing. When you're hit with ransomware, you basically have three choices to recover your environment. You can, and they're all, they're all ours. So we'll go through. It's the ransom. You can actually pay the ransom. Now, the thing about paying the ransom, first, if you do use a ransomware negotiator, um, I mean, I don't have any stake in that game, but not only will they save you money, they will prevent you from dealing with a company that we have a, a country, a company based in a country we have sanctions in. You know, it was a couple of years ago, I don't remember who it was, moved their headquarters to North Korea. Uh, not North Korea, it was Syria. Huge mistake, um, even though it was really more paper than anything else, because all of a sudden everyone in the US is like, no, you know, officials, ah. banks, they're like, no, we can't deal with you. So you don't want to do, because the US government doesn't care if you're doing this on your own and you pay someone in Syria, they don't care if it's a legal or illegal business or anything else. You're doing business with a company in Syria at that point. So use oh. use negotiators. Um, okay. But I, I will also say, I will caution that uh, you may not get all your data back. Most people don't. They get 60 to 70. Decryption is hard. It's also slow. The Colonial Pipeline, summer before last, paid 4.6 million to get the decryption key. And it was taking so long to decrypt everything, they ended up restoring from backups anyhow. So um, even if you pay a ransom, it's not a light switch. You don't flick it back on and everything is there. But I, I, so that usually leads to your two other options though. And that is, restoring uh you know you hopefully <laughs> you have backups that you took off site because another big thing of ransomware 2.0 was when they started attacking backups they realized people wouldn't pay us they just restore them so they started going after backups this leads back to what i said earlier about companies should have their backup tools under multi-factor authentication most people don't use multi-factor enough and i, I don't have anything to do with multi-factor i just think it's very low-hanging fruit People mm -hmm. don't use enough. So you're going to restore from backups. Um, if you have backups, like so hopefully your backups are offsite, make sure you go back far enough that it's you're you're you know using a gold copy and you're not just restoring an infection, right? Because that is a very common problem. Mm. And yes. oh sorry. No, no, go please go ahead. No, no, I, I had like a couple of uh, like comments and, and thank you for, for sharing this with us. Uh I think I think a couple of uh, things that you guys mentioned are very important to me when he, when talking about cybersecurity is first of all trust. Ross mentioned trust, like all the company, all the customer that believes in companies they operate in in, in e-commerce or uh, on service provided through the internet need to have uh, trust in your company, right? So that's where the value of protecting them from the risk or sharing their data or sharing their information is so valuable for them. And the other one is, as you were saying, like they started to get an, an understanding of the value of those data, right? They they know that data nowadays are are the new money, and and so there is more motivation to try to acquire data from people, both for you know getting back from the company and get the company to pay, but also because those data can be sold to third parties that can right. benefit from those data, right? So that those are like two critical component. Uh, that, that in this space nowadays, are, are, I think are the reason why we've seen more and more of this at, at any level. Like uh, I think any 
any week, uh, Ross can, can, can uh, agree with me every week there is an attempt, even here at the NIU, to, to know uh, a phishing attack or like uh, let us uh, click on a link and then you know have something that they can compromise the data of the people they are even in a you know a university level right so I was I was wondering from your experience how much of um, you know how, how much in in the cybersecurity space the error is at, on the user side so it's like an employee of the company doing something that put the whole company at risk and how can can companies make it better right to prevent those type of incidents and i'm sorry if i cut you off on what you were saying no 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 it's absolutely no problem i didn't get to the last one which was actually rebuild which we should talk about at some point but the um i want to answer that question too and yes i i mean 95 percent of the time it is a user absolutely that's that's probably a, a low number um you know in a great amount of the time nowadays in 2022 it is a fishing exercise right that's that's yeah. fishing is a huge thing this year that we could probably talk about forever but i i would say as as you pointed out Biagio, the it is it is a user type thing. And I consistently, in every presentation I do talk to, and I present a lot, talk to uh, the audience about how this is the year of awareness. And awareness is, is great. Anyhow, right? It is the probably the biggest bang for your buck you can get as far as um, getting things back, doing things with as we're talking about, you know, hey, what are users clicking on a link? So most people set up a no before and do fishing exercises on their own. And those have great benefit. I've seen the difference in myself over the years. I mean, I've been a cybersecurity guy forever, as we're talking about, and I still occasionally click on links. It is there. It, they get more and more innovative. You know, we're going to see more and more uh, smishing as we move forward. More people are way more likely to click on text links and everything else than they are on the internet. So, so it comes back to awareness and working with them to, yes, not to, to take a moment to think. We always, we always act like people need to be vigilant, but the fact is people are not vigilant, right? They're not some night jacked up on coffee, keeping watch over a castle. It's mm -hmm. more likely to be 830 <laughs> in the morning. They're on an early morning phone call while they're you know, doing email at the same time. And that's when you're going to click on a link. So it's keeping people, having them internalize security and making them aware enough that, hey, I have to realize that I'm always going to be conscious of security, even at those moments when I'm not vigilant. And that's a combination of both exercises, like we talked about most people on fishing exercises now, to wildly different degrees. We could talk about that too, if we want to. But um not just that, but also making sure that people realize that security is no longer just another function that they do training on once a year, that whatever they are doing, they're leaving a digital workspace footprint that's going to last way longer than whatever moment they're doing it that could affect the company. I mean, I do all my stuff on my work computer, basically, you know, most people mm -hmm. do their taxes, things like that. It's just the nature of what we have to do. So you have to be aware that there's no longer this separation of church and state when you're doing things. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of points I wanted to touch on. And the first one was like, I, I know like training is, is starting to increase. We do our training, as you said, once a year, uh, you know, to get to that point. But I think the other big component you mentioned is like people nowadays use the computer 
any times and not all the times they are vigilant. So you, especially now that we are working more from home and stuff like that, like if you are not very focused on what you're doing, I think uh, that's the moment where you're going to get tricked, right? You, you want right. to, between two, a coffee or something else, you want to reply to an email, you just look at it and say, okay, let me download this PDF and see what they are talking about. And you don't focus on like, is this email legit? Is the, the sender legit and stuff like that? I think it's, that's, that's to me, like I, I stop really answering any emails in between when I'm doing other stuff, multitasking, because I know that's the moment where I'm, I'm not very aware or what's going on so so thank you for mentioning that i think yeah, that's a, i agree i like how you said point. it's better to just focus focus on what you're doing i mean we're you were still not going to click on a stupid one right but if you get one that says mm -hmm. oh new weekly special email from amazon blah 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 and down at the bottom it says unsubscribe and you click that yeah. unsubscribe and it looks just like amazon and all of a sudden yeah. you know that's and they're yeah, getting better and better right they're getting better and better to the point where like before it was super clear like the email was completely out of sync the link was super suspicious and the the context was not there but now they are getting like to the point that sometimes i ask ross is this you sending me this email or somebody some other colleague is this you or like is there somebody else <laughs> right like, yeah it story. makes it so companies have to be careful about what they yeah. send out because if they're offering something like oh here's a free shirt guys thanks for being a good employee all of a sudden you're like this doesn't look real <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um I also feel like anytime I get a, a specifically a discount now through email, I'm like, mm, I don't trust it. <laughs> um, so as I, I want to pivot back to to that last area of so so there's been an attack, you've done that stuff, you've gone through it, and and you mentioned the rebuild. Uh, yes. To to me that that sounds like uh, after you know in this context right now a hurricane comes through there's a bunch of damage and now you gotta pick up the pieces and do that stuff. Um, what is that process like? And that has to be different based on each experience, both the the reality of what that actually takes, right? Yeah, what you need, but I mean, there's some commonalities. Yeah, rebuild is the third, absolutely. Ransom, restore, and rebuild. And this is the one that is most daunting to people, especially in the moment. In the moment, they just want to contact their cyber insurance, make everything all okay, get a key, turn everything back on, and have this be a financial hit to them. But it doesn't really work that way. And as you get farther away from like that day zero of that event, you do end up spending more and more on rebuilding stuff. Even if you don't have anything else you know you can't restore anything you didn't pay the ransom or it didn't work or anything else and you have to rebuild this basically comes down to doing it one of three ways too um none of what's your paper by the way i mean nothing's i don't even have last year's taxes printed out or anything right so that, that used to be a, a objective i mean a, a viable route but it's it's no longer is so but i would say when you're rebuilding uh the very first thing you're going to do is is hit your email or any cloud services that's where you can get a wealth of absolute treasure trove of data unfortunately a lot of times those have been hit by threat actors as well so you never know what you're going to get but that is ground zero the best spot but number two also is with customers partners of the organization even suppliers, things like that. Um, people used to be really hesitant <clears throat> about this. And well, you know, I'm gonna cover the third one really quick and then come back. The third one is usually, if you have a lot of information in databases, sometimes the only initial portion has been encrypted. And if it's valuable, you can pay to get it back. But so mm -hmm. it's it's basically, that's the third of the cloud, the databases. But let's, let's go back to partners. 
I want to talk about this because I do talk about this a lot on my TikTok. And that's companies are understanding. You know, if you go to them and say, hey, we were hit by this, we're doing blah, blah, blah. Can we get the master contract, a year's worth of invoices, whatever you need? You get a ton of information this way. Customer companies used to, organizations used to be hesitant to do this because it's coming out and looking back. And things have completely shifted in the last three to six months because you don't want someone like Brian Krebs who covers this stuff calling you up and saying, hey, I heard about this. I'm writing a story or not even calling you, just writing a story about you. And your partners find out about it through something like that. Your customers find out about it through something like You want to be the ones to let them know and say, here's what happened. Here's how we controlled it. Here's what we're doing in the future. Here's, you know, if you need to, here's how it affected you, what was lost or just in case something happens. Very much, very much so you want to be the one controlling that narrative. And if you start to see, if you look over the last couple of weeks, you've had major, major breaches, right? You had mm -hmm. Uber, you had Rockstar Games, you had uh, Optus, 40% of the people in Australia, you know, losing PII, that's, that sort of thing. Um, follow how what they put out to the press too. Follow to see what they say. And it, they all do now. And it has definitely changed to <clears throat> where some do it very well. They say, here's basically this is what you want. You want to say, kind of here's what happened or why it happened and here's what we've changed as a result and here's the impact i mean you're going to give some details because people are going to know basically hey are you going to be transparent if not down you know low level details but high level details so here's here's how and why it happened and some people have done that well some people still come across as very arrogant in their press releases some people come across as giving almost no information but they're switching more and more to hey this is the right way to do this and so when whatever breach happens next week take a look at what they say out there to the press so then greg as as that happens because like you mentioned i mean i, I recall pretty much once a month there's a company or an organization that i've done business with whether it's just you know swiping a credit card for gas or going and getting groceries a, a lot of these large uh retailers are are some of the instances that are that are being targeted and attacked as a customer that that participates with those companies and organizations uh is there something more I should do after I hear those things? Because admittedly, I'll catch it on the news. Oh, hey, X, Y, and Z company was attacked and it affected 40, you know, 40 million customers, 1 million customers, whatever number. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's probably me. And then I move on and, and go get my coffee. Um, sh should I be uh, participating that, in that? Even when I read the press releases, I don't really take much action after that stuff. What, should I be? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you're right. I, I don't either. We probably should change our password because I'm presuming that the password, you know, we use at one ah. place might be similar to a password we use in another. So there's different things. Really, it comes down, we're basically talking mainly about identity theft there. And if so, if they've absconded with my details and this is sold on the black market, is there something I should be doing? Um, I I usually, just because of the nature of my companies I work for, have have sort of the the fraud watch type things, you know, on my identity. And I, I haven't had anything come from that, which has probably made us lackadaisical. I would say in the bigger picture, there's probably 99 other security practices that you and Biagio and I could put into place on a daily basis other than that one that's probably going to have more effect, you know. 
that see that that's what's really helpful or at least reassuring for me because I, I I think I do well but of course like everything like exercise like eating better like I know I can always do a little more so so that's helpful for for those things so here's then uh a more of an interesting question for you as a cybersecurity. Uh, I, I would identify you as an expert within that as a customer as an individual what what are some things that you would um really shy away from doing within in the cyberspace is there something that you'd be like i i just do not ever think that's a good idea or is it again still going to be on that spectrum i you know i hadn't thought about that before it's a good question but like i don't go on the dark web um ah. i don't really need to by any sense of the mean and so i don't want it showing up on my computer or anything like that yeah, that's really what it comes down to more i think it's not what are you doing that's less likely to get you infected as i'd be more concerned about hey i don't ever want my computer to be confiscated and it shows i was going to uh silk road all the time or something <laughs> like that. you know one of these one of these sites so okay all right good good to know so so along with that one um would you again with your experience and your background would you be investing in into some of the cryptocurrencies out there that are, I would say, shifting more along the lines of a, of a mainstream, quote unquote, investment strategy or, or something that you could build into your portfolio? Or is that something that you would still kind of shy away from and say it's a little too volatile or risky? I do not think it is volatile or risky from a cybersecurity perspective. Got it. I, I tend to shy away from unregulated markets personally because <laughs> you never know when you're going to hit zero and not you know or something and not recover so right okay but like but, from from the process of doing it there's nothing that you're saying hey you're just asking to be hacked or become a a, a victim of identity threat uh, theft it is it is it i don't know I, I don't think it's a victim of identity theft i think it's a victim you're more likely to end up a victim of financial theft at some point, something along those lines. Um, I, I, uh, I, I think cryptocurrency is not going to be a problem at all. I think that will be so rock solid. I mean, that's the whole point of the blockchain, right? right. I think it'll be once you get to other stuff that is, again, easily reversible due to the blockchain if people do it and know and care and anything else but just you know my car may get stolen i may not get anyone to care about it right i mean if there's a rash of cars getting stolen and things like that the police still do something you know they'll report it but they may not necessarily go find my car so uh i think that's going to be the problem as we get into things that are based on cryptocurrency nfts things like that are a good example that people are now financially taking advantage of with an NBA league and everything based mm -hmm. off of it that I hadn't thought of before. You're going to get further into realms that people will just, it just, yes, you could technically be safe, but I think people will take advantage of it. Yeah. And that, that's a really good point too, Greg, that I did. I honestly hadn't thought of that. We, we, we accept a certain amount of criminal threat in in our physical life every single time and i think it just seems a little bit more um magical when it happens in in on the internet or something like that that this mystery yeah. happened and really once you look at it you're like no nope, there's a reason and it was it's just the same as someone breaking a window and stealing your car so uh 
Eras, I, I think if yeah. I can add on this, I think it's, it's also the, 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 especially the new generation, right? So I think my grandmother will still be very hesitant to put a credit card on the internet to buy anything, even on like companies that are very secured or they're trustworthy and stuff like that. But I think the new generation, uh, I see when they download apps, they don't even try to read what, what, like what is coming with it, right? Who is accessing their data and stuff like that. I think it's just, subconscious there's like okay i i'm just giving up some of my data and getting it for free though right so it's a it's a good trade-off for them they can use the service and they don't see the consequences of it as you said is 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 not as a physical risk i'm not driving a motorbike at 160 miles per hour right i'm just you know just making a purchase and and that's kind of when the new generation comes in because they are so used to do stuff over the internet is is so just like they don't even think about it right i think you don't even uh blink if you had to do it if you are born digital right if you used to do those transactions online rather than uh do it in person isn't it great what do you think? yeah i Biagio, you know i agree it's a good example of it is, is like honey right on or, or any of those other web browser programs where you put it in and it will automatically go find any coupons across mm -hmm. thousands of options that then market down. but what are you giving up for that right it's 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 tracking a lot of stuff that is honey is then working with so th that's a good example but a lot of people are like i don't care you know that's that's yeah. uh <laughs> and, and the answer is not Again, yes or no, the answer is probably do stuff like that. Most people have more than one computer, you know, buy a cheap Chromebook or something like that, that you can keep something like honey on and use that to make your purchases. So, oh, and, and I think that the, the other side of this is that while people they're trying to do like a ransomware or trying to do any like a phishing attack, they understand the value of data nowadays. A lot of consumers do not, right? They they just take it as like, okay, just you know, my email and my name and who cares, right? I think is the other side of it is that they don't understand the value behind or how much people can access thanks to those like just the email, right? Or or, or just the name. Or when you just put it together, yes. I mean, that's the all everything behind PII basically is, yeah, you know, oh, I know their name and they have brown hair and they're left-handed and they work mm -hmm. as a bartender at this place. And it goes from there. And all of a sudden when you put all the separate things together, you got a really stalkerish picture of what you can accomplish mm -hmm. through public information. And you're not really allowed to, to maintain that type of information. Yeah. So then, Greg, like I mentioned earlier, we we have this firewall, or at least I do, mentally between what happens virtually within the cyberspace and then in reality within my physical being. Um, I I think there's there's an erosion of that firewall happening more and more as we see things like the metaverse and you know ideas like Google Glass and and in integrating technology within a virtual space within our reality that that will become a little bit more uh, fluid and we can kind of traverse those two universes simultaneously. Do you think do you think cybersecurity will become um, even more of a threat to us as, as, as an individual person uh, if we really start to dive into that as a society and, and kind of living our lives more on, on a virtual reality? Or, or do you even have an opinion about that? Is that a, anything to be concerned about? <laughs> 
I mean, I, I feel like there will always be, um, I, there, there's some, <laughs> there's different <laughs> things to be concerned about, but I feel there will always be waves that hit that basically as we get into new areas, um, uh, just in, in technology, you look in the, the last, you know, 25 plus years, um, to me, like shared services, storage area networks, when those came about, you know, around the around the turn of the year 2000, starting to get big, that was innovative. Virtualization, server virtualization was huge. You know, the integration of basically the cloud has been the, the biggest recent thing. And, and now we're talking about, as you're saying, as personal, this applied to as we get more into, as our real lives, our personal lives get more intertwined into technology, especially even with things like the metaverse, um, how big a problem will security be? But I don't think it's something that will pile up. I basically think it goes that, yes, we get into these new innovative areas. And what happens is people come up with, you know, the whole sort of um, side ecosystems around them. And one of those is security. Uh, you know, think another good example would be you know, might be like um, marketing or stuff like that. How do you publicize what you're trying to do? That's another area that would involve as things continue to shift. And then after that, after things start to normalize, usually things that might have been extra services that people would pay for before. Hey, how do I keep myself in these unique scenarios that we have in this Jetsons world we're living in? <laughs> um, those become standard features of everyday other things that you have. Let's say your electric bill comes with, you know, fraud alert or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it just it becomes, it'll be built into something, but then we're on to the latest, you know, whatever thing that now needs security to be concerned as well. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's good. <laughs> Luckily that I think is a little bit further away within it, but it, it's always nice. Right. To um, yeah, and, Russ, I do have one more question for Greg that goes Please. like back to the kind of the company securities. And I want to hear his point of view on this. I, I know like VPN are, are often used by people and because uh, they offer a layer of security compared to, you know, just, just connecting to the internet. And I've seen more and more companies go towards like all the people that are working from home needs to connect to the VPN. Is that, is that like enough a security like move uh, to, to protect your company or like, is that just a good step towards being more protected? I mean, I, it, whether it's an even necessary step at times now, I guess it depends where you're connecting it from what you're doing, but we're in the middle of a huge shift and not to get too pedantic into we've been talking about you know oh, the the moat and castle method of it security is dead for 15 years now and the moat and castle again not to get too basic was basically all your employees work from someplace and they do their work from there and your data center's there and you just protect and harden the heck out of that and uh and and you'll be okay. And then everybody goes home and we don't work at night. What, what glorious days those most have been. But we've been talking about this being dead for a, a long time. And there's been shifts on is it being replaced with. And there's been things like identity as the new perimeter, which I am a big believer in, which saying, hey, you no longer have this hard shell perimeter. Identity is, and that doesn't just mean any person, either being an app or some other sort of container trying to come in as well so 
that that's one way to look at it. Another way people start to look at it is to focus everything through a certain pinprick. All the interactions will go through here and be safe. Mm -hmm. And that can take out a lot of security tools that you might otherwise have needed. Do you still, uh, you know, do you still need your firewall if, you, if everything has to go through here? This is a very base level example, but you still need DLP as a separate solution or we will be able to check it at this place. So there's different ways that things are evolving that are dealing with the fact that, you know, our stuff is stored in the cloud. We're working from home. We have applications that look for all intents and purposes like users coming in and all of this is getting more complicated with, with threat actors getting more and more advanced as well. We'll see where where the solution goes and, and what it ends up being. I mean, this year you can't throw a rock without hitting zero trust from everyone out there. So the zero trust is a very, very big concept. I'd say it's one of the top, you know, five security topics or so this year that that we're evolving to. But how you do zero trust is is, you know, can be done different ways. So Greg, I, this this conversation has been truly in, enlightening. So thank you so much for for yeah. sharing your wisdom with us. And I, and I want to end on on one kind of uh, a little bit hopefully more uh, lighthearted question here. And it, it's really kind of that that social media space. And and a lot of times right now, at least here in America, we we're seeing a lot of conversation around. TikTok and the the security threat that it it may present within all of that stuff. Now I, I I see a bunch of people on it that are like I do not care. I'm using it. Don't take my TikTok away. But then I hear the, the governmental perspective of saying this is this is a threat. Uh, as someone who is in this space, but is also on TikTok. What what's your opinion on that? Am I by by swiping through and looking at my mm -hmm. FYP? Am I again gonna cause World War Three with China, or is 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 there something else that I should be worried about? I mean, I, listen. I, I think I think China is an absolute cybersecurity threat. They, it has been proven when you know software and hardware people have had stuff manufactured well i guess software vendors who did appliances but then had hardware manufactured over there and they've had to stop manufacturing over there because it was infected so i don't take me wrong i i think people over they're starting from the baseline people look at things as black and white oh there was zero threat so they thought it was zero percent or five percent man of course there's a little bit threat now they they've gone to like a hundred and it's it's kind of like how you're always worried your kids are going to be abducted, right? Oh, something's right. going to happen. I think it's just I think it is an overreaction. I think you, I I think uh, there are threats to TikTok, and the fact it is a Chinese company will hurt it in the long run. And you know, YouTube Shorts or something else probably will take its market space, but that's more business. That's how I see stuff happen. So yes, I think it's a threat, but I think it is, I, I, I obviously use TikTok. I have a TikTok. I do one every day on cybersecurity and uh, I'm not going to stop doing that. I will just have to put other security measures. Luckily, I work for BlackBerry, right? I mean, right. if anyone has a lockdown security system on their phone, it is me. <laughs> that is good to know. So for everyone on TikTok, make sure you get a job at BlackBerry and then we'll all be good, right? 
I think I think there's a danger. Listen, I can't say there's not there's not a danger. I mean, there's a danger yeah. that with any company that you're going to get exposed and your information is going to get sold. And with with uh, TikTok, absolutely. I mean, just the nature of that company itself makes me question how how truly secure it is. But it it is a risk that um, I, I think most people. Let's put it this way: if something does happen. Their TikTok has enough of a user base that something will have to happen about it. It's not some scrub app out there that you know has, you know, five hundred thousand users. This is something that the world will take notice of and say, okay, TikTok, how are we making this right? Right, right. Greg, that was awesome. This whole conversation was very enlightening. Thank you again for sharing your time with us and, and your expertise. I, I truly do greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a very fun way to get the day started today. Perfect. Well, you have a good rest of your day. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.